Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com/newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Miguel Delaney of The Independent, and Dominic Fifield of The Athletic. In baseball, they call the regular season, which consists of 162 games, the grind. Our footballers know what they're talking about. This weekend sees the start of eight rounds of Premier League matches in six weeks, not to mention three more rounds of European games and League Cup ties. The overload is now undeniable and complicated by unique circumstances. This season is a slog, a marathon with six or seven serious contenders. Injuries and infections are the last things managers need. But at the moment, it's all they seem to get. Let's get down to brass tacks, Migs, could this ruin Liverpool's defence of the title? I'm not sure of ruin. I actually still, after everything, would have them as favourites. But it could severely hobble it, make it that much more difficult and give them a lot more to navigate. I mean, obviously now Klopp has a lot to figure out in how he structures the team because he's been missing so many players. They've probably got a bit more to think about in January. And yeah, it just makes everything that bit more complicated. As we mentioned, the demands of the season are going to be unique, Dom. Do you think the misfortune will even itself out over time? Yes. I, yeah, I think, I don't see, I suppose it's going to be tougher, you could say, for those clubs competing in Europe because they will have more workload inevitably. But then they also probably boast the, the greater depth in, in, in quality in terms of their squads. So it probably evens itself out in that respect. And I, I'm guessing that this conversation will soon veer towards five substitutions and, and the like. And it should be noted pretty early on, probably, that Manchester City and, and Liverpool hardly used their allocation of, of three subs in their, their fixture prior, just prior to this international break. That will probably taint my argument on that one. Yeah, we, we all knew that this season was going to be the hardest ever. Uh, I spoke with sports scientists and and medics at, at football clubs prior to the season, actually concentrating largely on the EFL clubs because I think the actual the demands placed on those guys is probably even greater than those in the Premier League. I mean, they have 46 standard league games plus domestic cup competitions to, to cram into their schedule and it was considerably shorter length of time in which to fulfil those fixtures. And and there was a realism and a pragmatism in, in their approach. They, they, they knew that the soft tissue injuries would would stack up they also knew there would be a greater reliance upon their under 23s you know that you probably wouldn't loan quite as many players to to teams in lower divisions because you're going to be relying upon them even if not in the first team then certainly in training to try and keep levels up amongst those players who aren't in recovery sessions those those unused substitutes those squad members that aren't getting regular game time because you need those guys to be fresh to step in when people are dropping like flies from the from the regular 11 so this is none of this is unexpected. This is exactly what the, the sports scientists and the medical departments were saying was going to happen. It's highlighted because it's now happening to high-profile Premier League clubs and the defending champions, etc. And yes, you know what happened to them over this international window with Joe Gomez and Jordan Henderson is really, really bad news. But it's affecting everybody up and down the pyramid. What about the politics, Migs? of club against country 
you know, it's not as easy as managers insisting on players withdrawing, is it? No, because they can't do that. I mean, you need. I mean, I wrote this week. Heard one story about uh, one high-profile manager who fell out with one of his stars because he tried to insist he pull out, but the agent basically pleaded with him, saying that um, you you can't actually pull out. It's not like it's not like the Ferguson days because the, the regulations have since changed, where the international medical team get the final say. So there has to be a genuine injury there. There can't be frivolous pullouts anymore. Of course, those politics have been exacerbated by the extreme nature of uh, of the windows and that. I mean we, we've really never seen breaks like this I, I, like I mean in, in a usual season it always feels a little bit overkill that there's three international ba- breaks in such quick succession over September, October, November but of course this break has had three three games in the last two and that was due to the, the June internationals being called off and a bit of horse trading between the federations and the clubs over the movement of Euro 2020. But, it, I mean, and I suppose, the, the, I think, for, for, for all we talk about the loan and the situation and the stress on players, I think the, the, the key to this whole debate, really, it, I mean, what, what it comes down to is f- big footballs, if you like, it's insistence on playing absolutely every single match and having a normal season in the most abnormal circumstances and when at least two months have been cut off the season. I mean, I, I do find it remarkable that there wasn't more compromise somewhere. I mean, what, what, I'm mean, trying to think of changes that have actually been made to the calendar in that regard. You know, one it's just is, FA Cup replays, isn't that's it? it really? uh, 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 and League Cup semi-finals where they're yeah. one leg other than two leg. I think that's pretty much it. And I mean, when, when, you, when you stand back, that is real. Like there could have been a bit more give somewhere, given the situation we're in. I I, I should add to that. that I mean, and on the we had a lot. Of, we've had international managers come out and say that this is too much in the in the the last couple of weeks. Why are we playing three internationals in that time in, in that period? Why were England? Why did they have the Ireland friendly? Why was that necessary? Why did they have the Wales friendly in the previous window? England have played as many games this season as the Premier League clubs. They've played eight fixtures this season. The Premier League clubs have only played eight fixtures this season at most. It's it's insane. So for for international managers to come out and say, oh, something's got to be done, the clubs have got to manage this better. Well, actually, you had an opportunity there where you could have just taken a bit of training time as opposed to as opposed to playing a, a, a pointless friendly that, that was just risking further damage to, to players. And maybe everybody has to compromise and that includes the likes of UEFA and national associations as well as as well as domestic leagues because the situation is being complicated further by covid isn't it you look at let's mo salah as a, as an example you know another positive test reported by the egyptian fa looks like he might even be struggling for brighton on saturday week how worried should football be with the rising cases? I know it was reported 16 positives in the Premier League in the last week. Yeah, I mean, and it was one of the things that struck even over the last two months with rising cases in society that the Premier League actually stayed really constant and, and, and they were extremely low. And, and I mean, 16, you would still, relatively speaking, is low. But in comparison to what the Premier League had before, it does represent a spike. And we have the tests now after this international break to come. And this international break, beyond the injuries, has just been a farce. So, well, I think it was, what, three games postponed in the end? I mean, I mean, one of the reasons we're playing these games is the insistence on fulfilling contracts and the kind of almost the pedantry of getting the Nations League done. But then you have the chaos where, you know, three of the games have to be decided by postponement and by, by, the, like, by awarding 3-0 wins. And it, I mean, I'm just talking to a few people around football. They they can't understand why, whatever about the kind of arguments about the horse trading or the contractual demands, why when when the domestic bubbles have obviously worked because they've been there's been low cases compared to society at large, why put those bubbles at risk by taking taking players out of them? And sending them all over the world, across borders, into different situations, and like in some cases, whatever about whatever about playing three games in a week, some some countries have had to actually cross three different borders and playing with three different three different countries in that time, which is just again, it just seems ludicrous in the current circumstances. Yeah, I'd agree. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And I suppose we've got to look at it in practical terms. It's no surprise to follow up your earlier point, Dom, that. Jurgen Klopp is leading the argument 
for five substitutes. I think it was 15 managers agreed when they met this week. In practical terms, how does he cope and how do Liverpool cope? They lean on players like Reese Williams at, at centre-back. Um, but he's, in, he's injured, isn't he? Well, he had a very minor stiff hip, apparently, which strikes me that that probably isn't going to be an issue that would take him out of the weekend. Look, I might be proved wrong in what remains of the week. Curtis Jones was feeling his back as well. A.D. Boothroyd suggested, but again, he, he should be fine. These, these are minor knocks that they're precautionary withdrawals or, or 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 knocks and bruises that you'd get run of the mill at every, in every in every competitive fixture, I guess. And you have to lean on that. You have to lean on your squad. You have to make. I mean, we're not we're not seriously saying that Liverpool's lack a Liverpool lack a, a, a depth of quality to their squad, are we? We know that they. They they have good quality. They can they can rest players for Atalanta in midweek potentially. I mean they they've done so well so far in the, in their Champions League group that that fixture is one where, you know where 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 the the fringe players presumably get a run out. They can target the uh, the Leicester City game as the priority, and you get by. Every club is doing it. I mean a sense of pragmatism has to has to kick in if if we're going to get through this season. It's afflicting. I mean, you only have to look at the injury table. Liverpool are up there, yeah, but there are other clubs with less resources who have also got large injury lists at this stage of the season. It's 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 across the board. It's up and down the pyramid, and we just have to get through it in the way that you know we have to get through everyday life at the moment. You need leaders in this sort of circumstance, Migs. What's the impact you think of the probable absence of? Jordan Henderson against Leicester and also someone like Andy Robertson who is you know a, a pivotal figure in many ways now because he's probably the, the their only fit defender first choice defender at the moment you know he, he's coming back from Israel where he played with Scotland he played another 90 minutes when he wasn't 100% yeah again it's just um, remarkable I mean, I mean on one side I suppose it's the players insistence about playing as well I mean as Southgate said on Tuesday they do all. Most of them do all want their international caps and to break centuries and reach landmarks and all that. But but still, yeah, it's it's um, it, it it feels unnecessary. I mean, you're right. I suppose in situations like this and the way we've seen in kind of title seasons of the past, and uh, there is an element of digging in and just it's about kind of a certain level of standards reached, even if you can't, if you don't have the players to be in your best form. I think that's probably what Liverpool will miss most with Henderson if he can't make it on Saturday. And it's why you feel a player like Robertson is specifically necessary in a situation like this, given that that's what he excels at. It's going to, well, I mean, whatever about kind of Liverpool's mental resilience, though, it's going to really test Klopp's of his creativity with what he does with that 11 and how he kind of, you know, balances out weaknesses in one area, what he does with some of his players. <laughs> I mean, you know, his first 11 could be as interesting as, as some of the game. Mm. I don't know about waiting for Godot, but we're certainly waiting for Thiago, aren't we? Is there some unease that it's taken, it seems to have taken anyway, quite a while to get him back? I guess you you go with what the, the medic department, medical departments are telling you. Maybe, I, I don't know whether Thiago is somebody that has to play when he's only 100%. I, there are players out there who like that, who, who don't feel as if they, 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 they want to risk putting their bodies through through competitive football if they're not 100%. I, I, Thiago may be like that. I don't know. I don't know. But I think you just have to, as 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 first team managers, they have to take advice on board from their sports scientists and medical departments. And you play players when they are ready and they, they're not in their red zones. They're not risking further injury or further mishap. Players also take time to adapt. I mean, it, you know, we were blown away by, by the, the flashes of, of of pedigree and quality that we saw from Thiago when he came to into English football, but sometimes you know it, it, it does take them time to adjust to the sort of constant aggressive nature of Premier League football. That's just that's the reality. You can go back, you know, go back twenty years. That was the same, so still the case then, and it's probably more acute now when the games are coming so thick and fast. So I, I just have to say a bit a bit of patience because we all know that the bloke is a, an absolutely unbelievable footballer and. In time, he will impose himself at Liverpool and on the Premier League and become one of the stellar performers in, in this division. 
Just looking at his mm-hmm. stats, actually, there's only been in his time at Bayern, there was only one season where he played at least thirty league games, and his average across seven seasons was twenty one star or twenty twenty one appearances. Uh, we should point to what Dom is saying, maybe. I mean, he's a thoroughbred in that sense, isn't he? Certainly is. There'll be a lot of you know inevitable attention on uh, Brendan Rodgers when he returns to Anfield on Sunday. Let's try and put him into a bit of perspective, can we? Dom, do you think he's been unfairly judged on on pretty outdated stereotypes? No, I think Brendan Rodgers gets a lot of praise, quite rightly, for for everything he's done in his in his career. I think I think people probably look back fondly on that that twenty thirteen fourteen campaign at Liverpool and how how close they came. Okay, it, 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 there was a stumble at the end, you know, literal and figurative as well. But 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 you know that. The Liverpool team now is is much better than that that Liverpool team then. And okay, Luis Suarez, Raheem Sterling, Daniel Sturridge. That what a wonderful, wonderful front line that was. And, and Stephen Gerrard's drive in, in midfield. It was it was great to watch. But they were they were they were equally clear deficiencies to that team. Not least the goalkeeper and the centre backs potentially. So it was actually a, a really really fantastic achievement to get Liverpool so tantalisingly close going into the last round of fixtures of, of the season and then that subsequently when it fell away uh, maybe when a bit of realism kicked in and it was time for a change yeah there were, there were issues around the it was the Real Madrid fixture wasn't it and the, and the team picked, put out in the Champions League and maybe his reputation suffered a bit around that point but I, I, look I, he revived his reputation at, at Celtic and he's done absolutely brilliantly at Leicester City we shouldn't we shouldn't our, our view of Brendan Rodgers should not be coloured by what happened post lockdown with Leicester City because again that was an an artificial situation a, 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 a t- of tournament football in a squad that maybe at the time wasn't geared up to that just wasn't wasn't really able to compete at with that number of games in that short length of time so they fell away after a brilliant first two thirds of the season the way they started this just is a better indication of how good they are and how good the coaching is and and the impact he makes. I I, I think he's I think he's done an absolutely brilliant job. We I wrote a piece quite recently on on sort of the rise of the 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 re rise of the of the British manager in the English in in the English game and Brendan Rodgers is right up there as elite level. I mean elite level British manager um, performing at in in England in the Premier League and. He deserves all the plaudits because he's he's done a wonderful 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 job at Leicester. Just even even yes. in relation to that, um, the the drop off in Project Restart. I mean, it, I think what's very impressive is that even allowing for that, and even the way it ended up, I think he still outperformed what Leicester should have been expected to achieve last season. I mean, finishing fifth in a, in a, in a league with a, with a, tra- with a well, a, a big six over the last few years was, was usually impressive. Uh, and I think from a wider perspective, Rodgers is also someone, he, he's almost proof that basically what you say will look very different and be perceived very different depending on whether you're winning or losing. Because, I mean, obviously, what, what, I mean, when, you, when you reference stereotypes, this ultimately what it comes down to, Rogers. It's, I suppose, comments he's made in the past and, you know, a, a, a certain kind of Brentian appearance. <laughs> but, 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 but so, I mean, when, you, when you're winning games, something that would otherwise sound cringe can, can often can seem like great insight. But the one thing I would say, uh, it feels like... He has reined that in, and also he's maybe reined in some of his own. I don't want to say flaws as a manager, but I mean, Dom referenced there about you know uh, that defence, and uh, I mean, obviously there was a huge quality gap between Liverpool's defence and Liverpool's attack that season. But it's also interesting how his lesser team. I mean, they do have a better backline in that Liverpool, but also they just seem so much more solidly structured in general, and it's something that Rodgers himself has worked on. Yeah, I. I... Spoke to uh, Brendan about his public image, and I, I said, "Look, did you learn anything from from the whole Liverpool experience and the whole David Brent thing?" And he said, "Look, yeah." And he was very wry, actually. He basically said, "Look, I've learned to listen more and to say less." So I quite like that about him. There's a bit of self-deprecation there. Does he? What did, about the- did he watch The Office? I don't know. Didn't ask him actually. I'm, you know, I'm not a very <laughs> good journalist, as you well David, know. Whatever he knows who David Prince actually is, I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh blimey! But what, what about the nature of the team that that he's building at Leicester? Well, look, it it 
plays to its its quality in attacking Jamie Vardy, and, and I mean, he does seem to just go on and, and maintain his his level in a remarkable way, and maintain his pace. Moreover, which is which is staggering, given that you know time is is ticking for for Jamie Vardy. But I just love the way that he that, that Brendan Rodgers has managed to to get Leicester playing in this way with injuries actually having taken away and and outgoing transfers having having potentially been very very disruptive and yet he's found a way of of adapting and 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 getting players to play specific roles so you know and Didi who was well all except I imagine that, that is such a key player in that Leicester team and has been there for the last few years in, in his absence Mondi has come in and done a, a, a done a great job he, you know at the the back when you when you when you, you're losing Soyuncu, and and yet you, you've got uh, Fofana come in and, and and just adapt to English football. A, a young kid plucked out of Saint Etienne, who who really, from from his early showings, would suggest that Arsenal maybe targeted the wrong centre half at Saint Etienne, and the and the way that he's getting the best out of fringe players from from other clubs. The, the Turkish winder, winger is it Under from from Roma, who, who's he's playing great cameos off the bench and just looks as if he's hungry, looks as if he's eager to to get his career back on track and and demonstrate the the, the ped, pedigree and quality that he has. These are all guys that are being revitalised by playing in a Brendan Rodgers team, by playing in a team that's 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 able to recover from you know a humiliating home defeat to West Ham United and just go on this winning run and. Combine that with Europa League football as well. I just, there's so much to admire about what they're doing, and yeah, it may it may not it may not last. It may not be prolonged. It, I don't think it will be the same as it was in 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 2015 uh, 16. But but it's great fun to watch, and I'm, I'm sure that it's got the Leicester supporters in absentia in absolute raptures. Yeah, I think it's significant. You know, drawing the whole Rogers debate to a close, that his players, both past and present, speak really highly of him. Migs, what about Manchester City? They return at Spurs on Saturday. It seems really strange to realise that, like Man United, they're in the bottom half of the table. Yeah, and now as we approach kind of, well, we're about a quarter of the way into the season now. And it does point to something not being fully right at City. It's hard to get away from, and it's something that's come up a fair bit this season, the, the, the wider view that... Guardiola has never been in this situation before. He's ne- he's never gone so far any one club, and really the challenge now is, I mean, because it does feel the kind of the cycle of that of his great city team of 2018-2019 has now moved on, and we're in the process of transition between one team and another. We've never seen Guardiola build another title-winning team. In fact, it's something that's actually been done very few times in the history of English football. I think only six or seven managers have done it. Most recently, of course, Wenger and uh, and Ferguson did it about three or four times. But it's a difficult challenge. And it does, I mean, it, it also feeds into some of the wider debates about Guardiola. I mean, I think everyone would by now accept he's you know, a genius, a visionary, one of the great managers. But what makes him great could also be what makes it difficult for him in this situation, which which is that that intensity is hard for players to put up with for that long without drastically changing the personnel. And I think, and it's something that strikes with City right now, and they play in bursts. But the last time I saw them live was against West Ham, a one-all draw. And like, I mean, it, they just looked so off. What, what you'd expect the best of a Man City team or a best of a, a Pep Guardiola team to be, which is a size that really don't give you an inch and just relentless about everything they do. And it's just, it just feels a general flatness at the moment. And, and that game is almost... It is a little bit of a kind of a put-your-cards-on-the-table game in that, you know, Spurs have obviously had a good run, but beating City would really propel them and kind of prove this, this, there could be something long-term about this. While City, they can't really afford another another slip. I mean, I suppose a draw away to Spurs wouldn't be too bad, but it would still leave them in pretty bad shape in the table, as you mentioned. And it's going to be instructive to see which way it goes. In the, in the element of transition, Dom, obviously the focus will be on some of the younger players. Phil Foden will go back to City, you know, presumably bouncing after doing well with England. Ferran Torres similarly... You know, after getting his hat trick in that six nil win over over Germany, I suppose the key question is, will Guardiola trust them? Yeah, well, maybe maybe he he, he uh, has to 
increasingly, as we've been talking about, uh, the, the the need to have the need to, to to juggle your options and and to make use of the entirety of your squad. I mean, he, he's shown he's con- he's increasingly trust trusting uh, of of Foden and quite right too because he's he's a very 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 good player. And Torres, I I imagine the the, the relatively fleeting appearances we've seen from him. And he has he has actually featured quite a lot for, for City in, in bits and bobs. But that's, again, that's an adaptation. That's a new country. That's a new league. That's a, a chance to, to break a player into into new surroundings. We, we, we have to be a bit careful on, to write City off. They've lost one game all season. I mean, we've been saying all all, all year that you know, how wildly unpredictable the Premier League is. Well, City and, and, and Chelsea, two teams there that have lost once. Chelsea will not take the League Cup on penalties, but that's once in all competitions, effectively for for both of them in ninety minutes. And okay, they've drawn too many games. They'll, they'll both they'll both say that City in particular. City have got a game in hand as well. Let's let's not get carried away here. They're, they're, this this league has been disrupted so far by lots of different factors, not least international windows up to this point. Now you've got a run between an intense run between mid-November and, and March time where leagues will effectively be decided and we'll we'll find out who the, the also-rans are and who are the real contenders. And I don't think any of us is going to sit here and say that City aren't going to be in contention, that they, they this is a real opportunity for them to, to impose themselves back on the division. Spurs will go into this fixture exactly the same way and, and, and say, you know, this is this is our opportunity, as Mick says, you know, chance to, to, to demonstrate just how good we are. But we shouldn't be writing these guys off yet. They're 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 both absolutely crammed full of quality, and that quality will tell over the months to come. Yeah. Before we go into Spurs, Megs, permit me the indulgence. Can we do a little bit of a? We wend our way down memory lane. Mario Balotelli, <laughs> City legend. How entertaining would it be for him to turn up at Barnsley? Oh well, yeah, I think as a few people have mentioned. It was the sort of thing you would have thought you would have, you know, maybe seen on one of these piss take websites around 2012. <laughs> I mean, we just added another <laughs> another curious episode to Balotelli's career, <laughs> but you know, book could be quite a fun episode. Um, I think it would be good to see him back in English football again. Have to say, I'm still getting my head around the fact that Valerian Ismail is the the Barnsley manager, who a, a player whose 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 playing career in English football consisted of being a record signing at, at Crystal Palace in 1997 and being absolutely humiliated by Carl Lieburn in a home derby against Wimbledon. I mean, Carl Lieburn trampled all over him that night, and his career never recovered. It's, he did a brilliant job at at, uh, at Lask in Austria for for a while last season. Took them to that game, those games with Manchester United. But it was a surprise to see him appointed, and and uh, actually wish him well because he was he's a lovely, lovely bloke. I spoke to him last season. He's a great guy. Good to see the scars have healed. Um, <laughs> never. <laughs> uh, what about uh, Jose Mourinho? He's been in his most sarcastic mood this week, yeah. which is unlikely to be improved by having lost Doherty to COVID. Uh, what about Harry Kane? Is there a real chance that he's being overplayed here? I think he's had the most minutes of any Premier League player, something like, I think it's 14, 56 minutes. Again, is he his own worst enemy, Kane? He wants to play. I'd say a little bit, yeah. And when Sergei mentioned that on Tuesday about players wanting to break all these landmarks and they really want to play for their country, you couldn't really have a bigger example of that than Kane himself. And I suppose, you know, wanting to play all the time ultimately ties into wanting to score all the time. He's played more minutes than anyone in the Premier League this season, was it? Or, any, or certainly in the Spurs team. I might have that slightly wrong. But, um, I mean, on the other side of it, I suppose, there's the fact that he's been in incredible form and is wanting to sustain that and all. But the way you sustain that is with, is really with kind of ensuring you're not anyway burnt out. And I suppose that the, the hope is that he manages this well over the next while. Mm. What about the management of Harry Winks, Dom? Again, came on a substitute for England against Iceland. Seems to be more comfortable at international level than club level. Will he get his chance? That's a good question. He doesn't. He never really struck me as a as a, a, a likely 
regular starter under under Mourinho, certainly the old style Mourinho. There was a period last season where he seemed to be imposing himself, um, if I recall correctly, and um, he he felt more integral. But but you're right, he's he's a he's a player that Gareth Southgate has always cherished. He he spoke of of him even even when Winks was absent through injury. He was he was. He was always the player that he wanted to incorporate into his midfield as a, a, a sort of metronomic passer, somebody that can um, with scuttling presence, you know, who can distribute the ball cleverly and and safely in in, in, this, in a more possession based England game plan. And he, he was earmarked very very early on in Southgate's England tenure as as being a key performer to achieve that. I suspect that in in time he probably will establish himself again or re-establish himself at international level as as somebody that, that that Southgate completely relies on possibly in a major tournament more than a qualifying campaign when England desperately need to protect the ball and, and keep the ball against better quality opponents uh, in in a, in a major finals but at Spurs at Spurs there's probably greater competition in that position for him and players that that, that Mourinho might be might think maybe fit the bill fit more his idea of, of how he wants to be playing the, the football but the sheer number of games the Spurs are going to play this season he still will get a load of, of matches for them I mean that's again that is the reality so if he if he goes he'll probably still play 40 games this season which is a good haul and will probably ensure that if he stays clear of, of injury that he, he still goes into a summer tournament relatively fresh yeah, what about Arsenal, Migs? You know, they didn't have the best of international breaks. They lost uh, El Nenny to COVID just when he was reclaiming his place and, and his influence. You had the distraction of, of Villian and his, uh, his Dubai trip, which didn't seem all the fantastically sensible. Is that three-year pension plan contract looking like a great investment at the moment? <laughs> uh, well, I got it's, it's, it's not just the... Uh, the trickiest uh, international break it's the build up to it as well given that 3-0 defeat to Villa and it's just it is hard to get any sort of read on Arsenal at the minute given I mean look look at look at the I mean whatever about these sort of um, variables if you, if you want to be kind about it or fa- factors are going to complicating life for, for Arteta there was the way they go from that win against Manchester United was so resolute and kind of indicated, you know, the tactical intelligence of Arteta to then a week later, whatever happened against Aston Villa. <laughs> uh, I mean, because it, it was, it was so, almost impossible to square one with the other. I mean, I mean maybe it's possible we expect too much of Arteta himself given this is so early into his uh, managerial career. But then, of course, the other side of that is when you're at a club like this, these are the demands. You can only cut slack for a certain amount. I mean, according, there are questions about the exact quality of that squad, although he has made a lot of signings he's wanted in the last one. I, 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 think, I mean, overall, I think with, with Arteta and Arsenal, it, you would have expected them to be maybe a bit far ahead of where they are right now. And he's entering, I think, what is going to be a challenging period, especially because, I mean, whatever about this situation being tricky for the whole league and a kind of a slog of games or a grind, as you said, that they've never faced before. I mean, most managers have some experience of getting through a Christmas schedule and, and managing it in that way. Whereas, I mean, I mean, Arsad obviously came in just before Christmas last year, but this is, this is his first real... It, uh, his first real experience of something this prolonged and something this much a, this much of a slog and how he navigates that is just another little challenge for him to pass. The William transfer absolutely fascinates me. I mean, because there was a real sense of triumphalism when they prized him from Chelsea, so to speak, uh, over the summer. Chelsea had had hoped to to give him a two year contract or you know one year with another option. And yet here we go. He, he'd always wanted a three-year deal. He he got one from Arsenal, and I think the, it was a Fulham game right on the opening weekend where he, he played very very well. And he just had to he had to glance gl- glance at Arsenal Twitter, and it was it was very much wow. We've what a coup we've pulled off here. This is incredible. This this is the this is the player in, in his prime that that won so many trophies in his time at, at Chelsea, but. I'm just amazed. I'm amazed, A, that Chelsea tried that hard to keep him. Imagine if he was still at Chelsea now on a 
on a say a two year deal, where would he fit? Where would he be be in that team? Where would he be close to the first eleven? Nowhere near. He'd be a fringe player and a disaffected senior fringe player at best. And B, I, I I'm not sure if anyone who'd watched his performances over the last eighteen months that yes, there were flashes of brilliance occasionally at Chelsea, but it was never real consistency to it. He he would be he would blow very hot and cold and. It just seems an incredible risk to give him three years on a considerable wage at Arsenal. Look, he may prove me wrong. He may he may have a revival. He may again. It may just be an adjustment period at a new at a new club. But I had expected him to to make more of an impact to justify the the fanfare that was granted that signing in the first couple of months of the season. Well, just on that as well, it was all, it's also surprising now from what everyone says at Arsenal and around Arsenal as well, is that this was a, a signing that Arteta himself pushed for and was and was very happy with, which is in itself, given what you would have thought about what he wants to do with the profile of the team, was in itself surprising. I've always liked Willian, but he, I mean, and like I think there's, he's a very distinctive player when he does start surging forward, and obviously there's that set piece he has, but he has always blown hot and cold as well. And you'd always think that he should have scored more than, he, than his returns have, have, have been when he, when he has that kind of quality. His best season at Chelsea was undoubtedly the season where, where everybody else's performances dipped horrendously in, in that 15 16 season. Um, and he, he did score a lot of goals that season. And, yeah, he's he's a he's a good player, but but he's a player that I'd suggest is possibly past his prime. Mm, talking of running hot and cold, Migs, Arsenal are at Leeds on Sunday. Is it time for the real Bielsa team to stand up? I, well, I have to, I have to say, it. I think this is this is going to be reality, which is going to be. I mean, Bielsa in terms of how he plays, obviously that'll always be consistent, but. Because of the nature of this lead squad in this Premier League, and I suppose especially in a season like this, I think we're going to see what, more so than any other team in the league almost, wild swings between results and and performances. And I mean, it was something almost you thought coming into the season where it, it was almost as difficult. It was very difficult. I think Leeds are one of the most difficult teams to predict. And had someone told you they'd be relegated or they'd finish just outside the top six, you it would have been easy to find either situation equally believable and I think that's going to be the nature of the campaign the real Leeds is going to be this wildly inconsistent but very often entertaining team and actually this game is probably the hardest to predict this weekend In that in that vein um, Dom um, Manchester United would it be typical of them to struggle against West Brom And because you always get the impression don't you that they're one setback away from a renewed crisis yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You're right. I mean, on, on recent form, yes, it, it, it is eminently predictable that, that, that this will be a this will be a slog of a performance against a, a team that sits deep and maybe a team that they can't play on the counter attack uh, against. You'd expect them. You'd expect them to to find a way through eventually. I mean, West Brom have. Uh, you know that they've not they've not won yet this season. Um, I think they've only got a point on their on the road so far, and some of their performances have have left a a lot to be desired. So they are there. It's an opportunity for United, but but yeah, that they they know what to expect. They're gonna they're gonna have to break them down. They're gonna need they're gonna need Fernandez at his creative best. They're they're gonna need width. They're gonna need pace. They're gonna need. They're going to need to really inflict wounds on on West Brom early, an early goal, and, and they'll they'll be they'll be fine. And and getting that first home win of the season towards the end of November, and Manchester United still haven't won a home game, it is it does sort of show the 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 weird nature of the Premier League this season. It is one of the things we spoke about actually earlier in the week was the lack of managerial casualties in the Premier League, which might be a, a reflection of the season or the nature of the season. What about Slavon Bilic, Migs? What are his job prospects? Do you think it's hard to say, really? I mean, he's always been an interesting man. And just and when 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 Dom was mentioning there about the team that Manchester United will play this season, I was actually kind of thinking how Bilic will will set up, given obviously West Brom's defence has been one of the most porous this season. But I mean. I mean, if you go back to his best season at West Ham in fifty, that which was actually a Leicester season, fifteen sixteen, Bilic has always been a manager in that his teams have almost played almost to, to 
the level of of the side they've come up against. And that sometimes when they play very bad sides, they can actually look very bad. Where where when they where they play quite good sides, they can react well. And it almost feels like he's a manager who works at his best in adapting to the opposition. Which I suppose maybe why he's had a bit of a curious career as well. When he was when he was Croatian manager and knocked out England in in, in two thousand seven for them from going to Euro two thousand eight, you would have thought he was kind of one of the one of the coming managers in Europe. Where his career has obviously proved much more inconsistent in that regard. I think maybe there was a sense that not not the West Brom got promoted ahead of time, but he did a relatively good job getting them back up. Which is maybe why this season should be forgiven with him but I mean because well, when, when, they, when they came up I, mean, I think they're pretty much almost everyone had them to go down in this season's predictions didn't they they certainly did there's a frustration there with with incoming transfers though isn't there that's that that's, there's clearly a bit of friction there within the hierarchy between Bilic and, and the ownership and, and whether he was allowed to to make the, the signings that he wanted in the summer and, and, and maybe the timing of them I know obviously Grant was a player that he was desperate to get in and he, he did eventually arrive but it was quite late on and um, that maybe left a bit of an imbalance in, in, in the squad through the opening weeks when they did actually have some games that you you know you look back on and think well they, they might have actually been opportunities and things like Burnley at home and Fulham away Brighton away that they they are probably the games that they, they need to get results in but look at the, you're right against Chelsea remember that first half against Chelsea uh, at the Hawthorns absolutely superb and they actually they played well against Tottenham in their most recent fixture and it was the narrow narrow late defeat that was inflicted upon them inevitably by Kane but but they are hopefully moving in the right direction and I agree with me because I, I, I I think it'll be insanely unfair, really, for for Billich to lose his job because what he did last last season alone was was fantastic. Yeah, speaking of Chelsea, they're at Newcastle in Saturday's lunchtime game. Frank Lampard has terrific faith in Mason Mount. Watching him play for England last night, you can understand why. But he's still quite a callow player, isn't he? Will he need protecting? Do you think as the season progresses? Well, yeah, Mason Mount won't be able to go, won't be able to play seventy-five games or whatever it is. I mean, at some point he'll 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 come out of the firing line. But he has he has occasionally rested him, uh, Lampard. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't always. I know he had, the impression is that he's the favourite for club and country, but you know there have been a times when when Chelsea have had a full complement of of midfielders and. Lampard has wanted to freshen things up. Yeah, it has been Mason Mount that, that set out. But the, the thing is, he's so key to them in terms of their press, their, their their energy, their dynamism through midfield. I think in the absence of of Kai Havertz through COVID, I don't think he'll be around this weekend. The absence of Pulisic on the left, you probably do need his energy in that Chelsea midfield at the moment, especially if he's if if Lampard's going to pursue the the four three three with with Conte as the uh, the the most defensive lying midfielder. So Mount has to has to play, and then then you can bring in people like Kovacic. You can you can ask Ziyech to to do the running off the off the right, and you can get your fullbacks attacking and providing some width, and and it just looks. Uh, a really good functioning Chelsea team. All of a sudden, it's funny how a little tweak of of the formation has 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 made them look far more at home. But Mount is key to that. Mount is a key player, and for the big matches, for the key matches in Chelsea's season, and I'd suggest that that Newcastle more than Ren in midweek is is a is the bigger game of those two, given Chelsea's start to their Champions League group. That he'd want he'd want Mason Mount involved and starting. There's a reason managers love him, isn't there? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He offers di- discipline, basically. What would you make a Newcastle, Migs? Discipline is not really a word I would tend to use about that football club. No, uh, although strangely, actually, it's probably <laughs> yeah. How to put this? It's uh, one of the few maybe positives you'd say about Bruce's approach, and that they're not very nice to watch. <laughs> they can often be a slog, but that is because. I suppose the one thing you are guaranteed with, with with Newcastle is that they probably offer as much defensive order as the circumstances allow. Of course, and it's interesting that doesn't really reflect maybe what goes on behind the scenes at the club or the or its general direction and how they kind of veer from one thing to the next. But um, yeah, I mean, discipline is is. <laughs> 
one of the traits that the uh, the actual football team has. They, they, they are the most consistent club in the country, though, aren't they? Yeah. In terms they... of in terms of their results, they, they 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 follow a sequence every time. It's it's it's, it's is it one lost drawn, one lost drawn, one lost drawn all the way through or something like that. It's 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 followed that sequence. I think they have to draw. Uh, what they draw against against Chelsea this week and then they beat Crystal Palace in the in the next game when they maintained that uh, that that particular sequence I think great stat great stat <laughs> that is very good yeah because uh, I must admit one of the things I really do miss ab- about the lack of crowds is you know I always used to really enjoy going to St James's Park I know it's cliched but the atmosphere is fantastic let's look at the broader issue of return of crowds if we could do you think there's a danger that clubs will want to introduce it before it's prudent? I suppose, is it best to do it in stages? Where and when should it all happen, do you think? Well, it's going to have to be staged, isn't it? Because you, can, you they won't be able to just go from, you know, literally zero to 100, 0% fans to 100% fans. It's going to have to be some sort of stagger steps as much as it kind of, because, I mean, there are some optimistic appraisals that, we might have relative normality in society by April. But even allowing for that, there's obviously going to be a lot of measures in place that clubs will have to adapt to. And it, it does feel like we're, um, this is going to be quite a, a staggered process to get fans back. Just as a, as a little bit of a tangent, actually, just in what just something that struck the, you mentioned there. When I was going into Wembley last night, I was talking to Sammy Mockbell about this, that, and, and I suppose this is relevant to a club like Newcastle as well, that it does feel. I mean, well, it's obviously a privilege for journalists to go to games. That's without question. It's it's something that's become more and more important as the situation has gone on. That games feel much more, much less of an event without crowds, and there is obviously much less difference between actually watching on TV and watching the stadium. Because you know, one one of the great, one of the many virtues of a crowd there is just even from a, from a media perspective is a the spe- the spectacle creates, but b also in allowing a much better barometer for the mood of a club and also I suppose and maybe this feeds into kind of why we haven't seen any managerial casualties as well in how fans and how the general support base reacts to what is going on maybe there's a few people in football that don't particularly miss that but but yeah I mean back to the to the wider question it, it, it does feel like this is going to be something that'll involve a few stagger steps and um a little bit of trial and hopefully not too much error. It's it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? I mean, none of us is going to sit here and say we don't want fans back in stadium because it's it's we, we're all missing supporters so much, and it does take away so much from the spectacle, so much from the spectacle. They're not they're they're unreal situations uh, watching games behind closed doors. They're hor- horrible, actually. They're not they're not they're not fun in the slightest, really. But actually, you know, if you're if, if you're one of the the four, four clubs have gone to Old Trafford this season and haven't lost. So that means there'll be what 15, 15 more teams have got to go to Old Trafford, and if 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 ten of those are going to face a, a crammed Old Trafford, an Old Trafford with that's full of fans, and that's that's warped the competition a bit, to be honest. I mean, that's that's not the same as as Crystal Palace or Tottenham Hotspur or or Arsenal going and winning at Old Trafford this season. That, that, that that's a completely different ball game. So. <laughs> It does. It's another element. I mean, I'm not saying God. I'm not saying that we should go through this season without fans because, because that that is unthinkable, and and we 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 don't want to have to contemplate that. But but it isn't. It's going to be the next level of unpredictability in this in this division and this mad division of, of the Premier League has become. Strange times. Let's try and pull all this together if we could. Our thoughts for the day, Dom. Can you start, please? Well, I don't know if it counts as a thought for the day, but it but it is. I wanted to wish someone the best of luck, actually, uh, for for the weekend. Liam Rossinia is going to be taking charge effectively of Derby County following the dismissal of Philip Koku. They play at Bristol City on Saturday, and I know all the attention has been drawn towards Wayne Rooney. Uh, and and the, the the four coaching staff that are overseeing duties on a sort of caretaker basis at, at Derby County for the foreseeable future, but I think I think it is actually Liam Rossinia who is the most qualified coach on that staff, and he's always envisaged, and this is the fulfilment of a of a dream for for Liam who who started off. You know, working with his dad Leroy and 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 well, watching his dad Leroy coach um, at Gloucester City and Bristol City and places like that when he was 
a kid when he, he was he and he's always envisaged being a manager one day and Ashton Gate, the club where it all started for him as a player this Saturday, he will be in charge of a first team and, and putting out a side. And uh, I just I just think that's a great story and I wish him all the best in it. Yeah, good luck to him. Good luck. Mix. I mean, this it very much comes down to almost a thought experiment, as much as a thought. But something, I mean, the headlines the week have thrown up is we might have to start imagining football without heading at some point. I mean, and obviously there's a much more serious issue there given, you know, uh, this almost crisis of dementia among so many older players. But it, it does feel like it's something the games have to kind of think about. And, you know, and almost on a more trivial level, but very significant to the future of the sport, I, I mean, I was wondering how much it would actually change football. And I think much less so than even 10 years ago because stats of headed goals have actually fallen. And I mean, I suppose if you look, if you go back to the influence of a coach like Guardiola and, and the way the game has evolved, the pressing and all that since, it, it, it does feel like heading is much less a part of the game. And it's a much more kind of technique-based, ground-based game now. But it is something we may have to confront relatively soon. I mean, obviously the research is inconclusive for the moment, but it, it does feel like an issue that's kind of bubbling away in the background and could well come to the fore fairly soon. The Telegraph did that study this week. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it is very much something to think about. Yeah, I suppose I'll get one thing straight before I begin. Football, despite all its problems, is a great place in which to work. And now I think it's enriched my life, both personally and professionally. I'm sure you know the guys would say the same thing. Our job, though, is to point out its faults as well as its attractions. Now, I'll admit I was really surprised and quite concerned to learn this week that a Champions League club, Midland, linked to Brentford and their enlightened recruitment programme, were looking to employ a video scout. Great chance for someone, I hear you say. The problem is that the role is voluntary and unpaid. Now, I know ambition is exploited in other industries. The media has far too many unpaid internships for my liking. But football has the money to be better than that. That video scout could save them millions. Give him a break or her a break. What do you think? Please let me know. In the meantime, thanks to Dom and Miguel and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.